Hi everyone, welcome to a couple of nurses episode, episode 113. Thank you guys for tuning in. We appreciate you guys for listening down in this episode. If you guys find value in this episode, please share with your family members, loved ones, friends, nursing students, colleagues, anyone. We would appreciate it. And it gives us, you know, motivates us to keep on producing high quality content. What's new? Cupofnurses.com for show notes. We are Frontline Warriors. Merch is coming soon, just like we said, we're building out the infrastructure and little updates on the personal life. Our contract is wrapping up. We're going to take a break from travel nursing. It's been a long, you know, few months just grinding nonstop, podcasting, trying to vlog. So we're going to do a little RV trip for two weeks and just unwind from the work life. Yeah, it's going to be fun. I've never taken an RV trip before. So it's going to be such a crazy adventure for two weeks just in an RV. That seems so fun. And it's cool because we're, we're travel nursing and we're constantly breaking these barriers of the comfort zone. It kind of like always puts things in perspective. You're always like appreciating things. You're always kind of catching yourself like with bad habits sometimes. Right. And you know, it's going to be nice to just camp out and chill. Right. Yeah. So like from our perspective, we started travel nursing in October and our contracts, we lay travel nurse from October all the way up until June. First week of June. And then we're taking an RV trip for two weeks after that. And we're coming back to Chicago mid-June mid till end of June. And then we're taking three months off. And then we're going back to travel nursing. We literally just are just taking three months off. Isn't that nice? we chilling and then working on stuff. Yes. And, and that's going to give us time to work on everything we want to do with Frontline Warriors, the podcasting, getting better guests and all that. There's only so much you can do in your day. Right. Like I just came off of three in a row and I'm sitting here in our podcasting so it's it's fun the grind is exciting and one one cool thing about travel nursing is yeah we could take this three months off how's how's nursing how's covid like it's been busy right yeah it's been rough I mean, it's, it's been fun though it's been an interesting experience it's been it's a good it's been a good experience like how often are you going to be a nurse pandemic. through a pandemic right so it's just crazy to see all the changes and we're gonna be able to see how things are now going to be implemented in a different way We'll see how the masks are, are going to be in the hospital. We'll see what kind of procedure are going to be, be, you know, brought up, just medications, all that. Like one thing which is constantly changing is like visitation policies. Like in DOU, which is PCCU, visitations are like from seven to seven or whatever, and the ICU nine, it's nine to seven. Nine to seven, and the ICU it's eleven to seven, and it's constantly changing. Um, California on June 15th is like announcing no masks or whatever like publicly mm -hmm. so they're changing visitations again it's there's just so much regulations changing it's right. so hard to keep up with the information yeah it's definitely it's definitely wild but it's cool to live through this but let's get with the episode let's go <laughs> so on today's episode we're going to talk about the differences between nursing school and actual nursing usually the first thing new back here is coming out of nursing school is Actual nursing is a lot different than theory and clinical and everything you basically learned in nursing school. So we're going to highlight some, some pretty key points and things that we were taught in nursing school that we don't really do that often anymore. Yeah, and, and it makes sense because when you're a nursing student, nursing school really just prepares you for the first year of being a nurse. Yeah. You just learn the orientation part and the basics. Mm -hmm. Like the most experience you're going to learn is when you're actually doing the nursing, post, new grad, so, like, it's important to make sure you have a good orientation, at least six weeks. Yeah. Like the, usually when you, like, Google things, I like how to, how nursing school compares to actual nursing. The main thing you're going to basically 
basically see is <clears throat> nothing's like textbook. Nothing is ever textbook. And it's just like like complicates a lot of things in theory. But the one thing that I found funny is when I was looking through these things is G two was number one. So when nurses were asked, what's the differences, biggest difference between nursing school and actual nursing is G-tubes. Because in clinical, in nursing school, you're supposed to crush each med individually, flush the G-tube in between the meds, and then mix the water individually with the medication and flush that through. With a flush in between. Imagine how long that would take for every single patient if you Dude. have multiples. Yeah. So like, the reality is you just mix it all together. Right. It's all going you know, to the same place. And it don't really has time because sometimes patients have like 12 PO meds or through the NG tube or G tube, and then you gotta give like two or three pushes, and then you gotta titrate meds, and it's just like you don't got time for all that. What's accurate though is make sure you're actually flushing the 30 cc's before and be, uh, after, because if you don't do it um, before, sometimes it'll clog the tubing, especially the dub off the skinnier ones, and push afterwards. Right. The worst thing is when you clog a tube and you got a troubleshoot or for nurse what. You have like a, tu uh, a tube that's like not being run for a couple of days and then you try to flush it just stuck. You gotta use Coca-Cola or something. Yeah. So that's like, that's one little hack in nursing. You might be uh, doing the, the Coca-Cola. Sometimes you might take the guide wire, some nurses save it, and you could thread it through sometimes to unclog specific yeah. areas. Not, you know, not textbook. And another thing about G-tubes is the whole placement thing with the stomach, like that's not the gold gold standard. That's not a the definite is always an X-ray. Like with the air you're talking about, right? Yeah. Like checking patency with with like air where you listen to your stethoscope. I, I still do it. I do it all the time, yeah. Because you're supposed to just to make sure. Mm -hmm. If you get the lung, I mean you're gonna be desanding. Yeah, the real patient's quick. gonna you're gonna know that something's yeah. up or that's coiling somewhere. Like you're gonna figure it out. Right. Have you ever pulled one in a lung by accident before? Or like the trachea? I'm trying to know. Oh, I don't, I don't think so. I think one time it coiled in like an awkward spot or didn't make it through the throat. Yeah. But never into the lung. Yeah, I've seen what happened. I've and I've pretty sure I've done one before. Yeah, um, they just descend right away. You just pull it out. Okay, that's yeah, it. Yeah. Imagine, God forbid, you push water through you yeah. like pneumonia. Yeah, be it's careful. Really unsafe. You gotta make sure that things in, and like you can't just like forcefully push through. There's like some technique involved in it. But just that's just. You know, change over time, and even so. What kind of dot pops did you guys use? Because at one point, I believe our hospital was using like these things with these like black ends. I think it was like either like a magnet or a little weight, and it's supposed to be, be better than like the standard ones. So that's what I've been uh, used to as well. Yeah, really. And yeah. before you set it up, you're supposed to flush it with like 10 cc right. to prime it. Yeah. And you don't have to use petroleum jelly for those because the tip was already lubricated. It right. lubricates itself when you flush it. Yeah, yeah. And those are efficient. Okay. And, and those things also have like the new safety valve. So when we were in Oakland, I think we told the story before live. Go again is the, I think there was a nurse that somehow jerry rigged the tube feeding and put it into the peripheral. Oh yeah, that was local and, and killed the patient, mm -hmm. right? So a lot of these hospitals now they're just developing these um, lure lock systems for these NGs. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I find it safe. I just find it so much easier where you could just like do a regular NG. It's very simple. Right. It makes my work more efficient. I'm very interested on how that happened, how somebody was able to attach and YouTube feeding to a central line. Like, like how? Like, like, imagine how much maneuvering that took. If something is that complicated to attach, it's probably not the right way. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? Maybe she thought it was TPN, I have no idea. That's, that's unsafe nursing. Right. Yeah, what if she did? Yeah, that's wild. So, what's, so the next one is Foley catheters. Mm -hmm. So what, what about it? Man, those things suck sometimes, man. 
like, you know, for dudes, it's, it's easy. Gives me one hole. But then, like, so for some females, it's just hard to do. Like, for me, when I do a foley, I always got to bring an extra one with me. Because I'm, like, accuracy-wise, I'm, like, 75%. So it means if I got to put in three foleys this month, I'm probably going to miss the next one, you know? So yeah. I'm always ready for that. I'm thinking about, I have a scar story when it mm -hmm. comes to female foley catheters. One time when I started as a new grad, we had to put a foley catheter and I couldn't get it myself. It was like this, it was a nun. And she had oh, like man. vulva cancer, whatever it's called, vulvolus, oh, like of like the labia. Oh, and it was man. so bad, man. Like I'm scarred right now thinking about this. Dude, poor lady. And it's also funny because today I, uh, one of the uh, techs was helping me out and he's a student nurse at the hospital where we work. And he said, you know what sucks when it comes to male catheters is fat, uncircumcised men. Oh, shit. And I'm like, oh, okay. I'm like, yeah, that's, you have a good point. Uh -huh. There's a lot of damn skin. There is. And then he's talking about, because he's a, he's a nurse, he's like, how are you supposed to, like, use the second <laughs> hand and break st sterility and still hold it? And I'm like, that's so funny. Somebody's got to get it in. Like, to get it in and get out, you know? So, yeah, it's, it's just never, it's never pretty, even though the way the instructors kind of teach you in yeah. school. Never textbook. Like, even with the IV push, which is the next point is, you know, some meds, they teach you to push over five minutes or push over three or two. Like, no one's really pushing Lasix over five minutes. It's probably like, you know, 30 seconds, a minute, if anyone's, you know, we're, we're giving a time. We're not giving advice on how to do things, yeah. by the way, guys. We're not telling you to push meds. Yeah, push it in whatever you seconds instead of five minutes, disclaimer here. Yeah. But in reality, if you want to run it through, like, IV tubing, What's going 10 cc's an hour just to be safe, you could go do that too or whatever you want. But I'm just saying, some nurses don't have time to do those kind of things, which is okay. Even like as long as you're, you, you feel safe doing it and it's in your patient's best interest. Even like programming pumps. So like when I was a new grad and I started at my first hospital, we always programmed everything. Mm -hmm. Even like albumin. Yeah. And when you start going to like different hospitals and travelers, you start realizing like things are done differently. When you go to a different place and all of a sudden you're not hanging albumin over two hours, you're just like spiking a bag and it's flowing then go to gravity. I'm mm -hmm. just like, whoa, I've never done this. And it's like taboo because we're taught this way, but there's just, that's how things go down. Yeah, like a pressure bagging or blood. Or pressure itself. bagging blood in this hospital just because uh, blood tubing's on back order for six months since COVID. It's just, that's the wild west. It's the reality yeah. of nursing. Like you're supposed to, you know, Prime it at 125 cc's an hour, so that the patient's doing, and then maybe go up to 150, 175, 300, and here you're just back flowing it. And I, one time I caught myself, the bag went in like 45 minutes. That's pretty quick. <laughs> but how you're supposed to know? It's how, like super hard time. Like think about this. You know how like in nursing school they teach you the drip rate. Mm -hmm. Do you think I'm gonna stand there with my watch and like? Stand there for 60 <laughs> seconds and count 60 drops of blood right. while there's shit going down, like monitors, someone's, Alarms, someone's yeah. screaming dementia. Help! <laughs> oh my gosh, man. Like, it's just, it's not feasible. It's not. It's not. And that's just how it really is. And that's a good perspective to bring up because a lot of people know that. And it's how the real world of nursing is. It's not ideal in every situation. And no situation is ever ideal. There's always stuff going on and you're always... Not necessarily cutting corners, but trying to figure out the most efficient way to do these things. You do. But of course, safety is still number one, and it just works. It just flows. And it's just the understanding. So, like, the next thing that they teach you not to do in nursing school is to never, like, discontinue 
or modify physician's orders without first speaking to them. Like there's protocols in the hospitals and you have a relationship with your with certain practices where it's okay to under to order certain meds or certain labs under their name. Like for example, you wouldn't need necessarily page out to renal to ask for like a Korean level, right? For the morning or yeah. a BMP, you just put it under them. Because obviously nephrology is seeing them or renal seeing them, they're obviously want to see those labs in the morning. Or for example, you hang blood and you know it's usually standard one hour afterwards or two hours. Get a get a CBC. If the physicians forgot to do it, I'm not gonna call about something meticulous like that. Especially at night. Especially at night. And you learn that's what's so cool about nights is you learn that you you know what to call for. Mm-hmm. If they forgot to put morning labs in and you're in the ICU and that patient doesn't have a CBC and a BMP, that shit's standard. You but every single patient should have one. They're in critical care. So you just like start learning these habits right. with experience and you don't bother page a, a doctor for acetaminophen, three to six hundred fifty milligrams for a patient. You know, All right? Yeah, and it's like cool because like some floors have some pretty neat autonomy. Where let's say the the patient came, he's like a new admission, and you know he's got a history of like dialysis or he's got history of like low electrolyte something. Physicians are going to, to be okay with you to you know put in like potassium protocols or magnesium protocols just because they already know that you know this is a renal patient. But what they're going to add on to the order usually is to first look at the creatinine clearance, yeah. right? Because the creatinine has to be a certain number for your, you to properly excrete fluid and, and electrolytes. So if, you're, if you have a poor creatinine function, well then that test is going to stay in your body longer. So you might want to give a 20 milliequivalent instead of a 40. I feel like we also introduced this topic like we shot the gun here, we took two steps. One step would be saying in nursing school, um, doctors put all the orders in mm. oh, and, and yeah, it's too. never a damn thing mm. you're always putting in orders and sometimes the doctor hangs up and you're just like oh, okay well it's this med but what's the dosage mm. and, it, and it gets so annoying mm-hmm. I, w- I wish it was just a standard where doctors always did it and I bet there's nurses out there that are listening and you know my physicians do it that's great I'm so, I'm so damn jealous yeah. it happens all the time or you're just talking, especially now on day shift, and then verbally they're like, okay, let's do A, B, and C. And it's your responsibility to spit that back to them. Okay, just, I'm confirming I'm giving this. Because mm. at the end of the day, they'll just walk away, and then you're going to be the one that has to page and follow up because you forgot one small thing. Like, yeah. is it three milligrams or is it six milligrams? It's that important. You better remember those details and ask. Right, and nights makes you remember is hardcore. It takes only a few times to get to getting yelled at or bitched out by physician. Especially you know, because you call hang up quick. Yeah. Yep. And then you answer your question is hang up. It's like, hey, you should know this by now. You know, you've been on this unit, you should know this. If you're on this unit, you should know this. But not all physicians know that, hey, nursing turnover rate is pretty high. So the likelihood of that being the same nurse each time is not very likely. And that's what sucks. Like you're a nursing student and you work nights and you get bad mouth from mm-hmm. physicians sometimes. Yeah. And it discourages you. It kind of makes you sometimes not want to, you know, like critically think about everything about your patient because then you're just like, damn, I got a call. Mm-hmm. Like, you always advocate for a patient. I'm not saying, no, you know, it's, that would be um, talking about nursing malpractice or negligence. negligence yeah. Always do everything. But it's just annoying when these physicians don't respect nurses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sucks. I mean, there, there are certain things in, in place because. There was a unit that I was on or, or, or some point that there was an issue between like the physicians and the nurses and 
and there was there was such toxicity that they wanted to get rid of one certain position because it was that bad. It was like that guy was facilitating the issue. I don't know. I forgot if that was in Oakland or somewhere. Or the power or somewhere. Had. Yeah. So I'm not sure what happened because I think it might have been in Oakland. But whatever. So that's like a crazy dynamic to be part of. Imagine how how less of quality patient care is probably happening like in one of those units. And I've, and I've experienced that like in my previous employment where this heart surgeon just wanted to have specific cardiac nurses taking care of his hearts and he wanted it in this one hospital because it's prettier and nicer. Nicer compared to the other one. And then those nurses had to like uh, drive to the other hospital. They didn't want to. It was only like a five mile drive, but still. So yeah. So it's just they get reimbursed. No. Oh man. I know, and they didn't even give like a bonus or anything. So it's annoying because yes, the cardiac surgeons always bring the most money, and, and they're these stakeholders that can just kind of swing around and upset nurses. Mm-hmm. Or it could be just like bad management. I remember working nights. There was a day shift manager supervisor that just like ruined everybody's mood. Mm-hmm. She just like tore you down for some reason. And yeah, you're just talking about toxic culture. We don't we don't need that. So just a quick little interview tip is like if you're applying for jobs, always ask about the culture. Right. Or if you're getting interviewed by the nurse that's on the floor, ask about the culture. That's a really good point to bring up. Because when I was applying to jobs or just working anywhere in general, like for my nursing career and stuff, I never asked about the, the culture. I you wish I could about it. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the culture where I used to work was was great. It wasn't bad, but I'm saying it's a good good thing to ask because now going through different units and hearing about other units from other nurses, you know, from social media or just talking on the unit, like there is really toxic workplace cultures where people don't get along, don't don't get along with each other, and just can't communicate properly, and it sucks. So imagine how horrible that's that's a horrible work environment, and it's probably a bad place for patient care. So it's crazy to think about that. I know. What the next one is patient compliance. Yeah. So textbook, you know, you educate the patient, patient gets discharged, and it's a fairy tale. They're good. They're living great. You know, the guy just came in for a, you know, quadruple bypass. He's gonna adhere adhere to his heart healthy diet. Yeah. He's gonna eat less than two two mm. two thousand milligrams of sodium. He's gonna exercise. He's gonna weigh himself daily. He's gonna decrease stress. Make sure you take the 20 milligrams of lasers. He's going to take off a workload. <laughs> no, he's going to be hanging out. He's good. And no, man, these patients just come three, four times. And in like half of your time, I'm trying to think of a time frame. They're frequent flyers. Yeah, and, and sometimes these people, you see them, when they leave the hospital, they're in decent condition. Like They, they could pull through. Like It's not, they went. They came through a lot, but they could, they could, they could pull through. And they come back a few months later, and they're complete. Shit. Isn't it so sad to see how yeah. people don't take accountability for themselves and they just self-neglect themselves with that ability? Like you see patients sometimes in three months and six months and you're just like, wow, this person changed or gained weight and especially like the CHFers, you know, you just come in with like these swollen, weeping feet sometimes and or could barely breathe. Like you go on, you know, they go on bypass for CH. CHF exacerbation, COPD, it's... Yeah, we had a lot of freaking flyers when I used to work with the LVADs. Like, and and you see the words. It's like, damn. I mean, LVADs did do a lot of benefit for certain people, but sometimes, you know, they go south. Like, the surgery goes good, but some someone doesn't happen properly. Genetics get involved, random events, the, the machine malfunctions, and 
we're in a hospital, so we see the worst of the worst. Especially with like Elvads, if it's put in one hospital, it's usually where they're gonna go for their full care for the rest of their life. And, and we and we see such a small minority of people too, mm -hmm. like in the world or in the patient, you know, the cities. Yeah. And it's just yeah, it's sick of the sick, so it just always it's humbling. Yeah. Ne next one, which is double gloving. Uh huh. So and there's that double gloving you talking about. Double gloving, the safety, man. It's always about the safety. The feel you, man. Both gloves. <laughs> the gloves we're talking about, it's like gloves on your hands, people. The gloves on your hands. So, yeah, in nursing school, you're always told to put on some gloves, do the dressing change, take off your gloves, put on new gloves, then apply the other dressing. If they get dirty during that point on, guess what? You gotta take them off, put new ones on until you get it completely right. Here, in the real world of nursing, double glove or triple glove. Triple gloving, definitely way to go. Especially if you're cleaning up poop. Especially if you're cleaning up poop. Especially if you're cleaning up poop. Like that's probably like nursing advice 2.0 right there. And even with like COVID, for example, you learn the trick if you put two gloves on, you take off one pair, the other one are technically still clean, you can put some hand sanitizer on, and then you can take your PPE off or wipe down your equipment. True. So it's almost like a it saves you time in a way. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's like you're going you're going to double glove. I wonder what the reason for non-double gloving was. I have no idea. Right? So you gotta take out the gloves, and then they're, they're probably gonna make a hypothesis that at some point your gloves are gonna get dirty before you put on the new gloves. Right? I guess that's a, that's a theory. Probably the most logical theory I can think of. Yeah, e even when with these the surgical ones, mm. sometimes you might double glove over your regular gloves. Yeah. If I'm in a COVID room, I don't wanna take off my gloves and expose my hands, maybe. Right. Yeah, yeah, it's good stuff. The next one on the list is the wet to dry dressing changes. I feel like in nursing school, these were over practice. There's so much over, more dressings that, that we do that are not wet to dry dressings. Wet to dry dressings are probably like an, well, they are an older method of to do certain things that we have different ways to do now. We have different foams for different things. We have wound bags for, for different things. We don't necessarily need to do wet to dry. We have more efficient and and better methods to do things. And I've usually seen them in like the uh, wound debriefments, mm. so debriefments, debriefments. If you have the Instagram debriefments. Yeah, man, good old Patreon videos. I've seen it with the yeah, few surgeons usually do that, but usually there's so much advanced technologies now. Mm. You have silver, you have the duoderm, zero form. There's so many different dressings that promote wound healing and have all these antimicrobial properties. Wet to dry is really non-existent. Right. I have not dealt with it for probably over a year for yeah. sure. My patient had a wet to dry, but the thing, I feel like when you see a wet to dry, if they're not 100% sure what to do yet. I feel that's when it's a good time to do a wet to dry. If you're not sure how we should treat this, let's put a wet to dry on it. Just to be safe. Yeah, change a Q-shift or a daily, and then we'll see what happens, and then we'll talk about it, take a few pictures here, take a few pictures there, and then we'll figure out how it heals and what we do. I just thought about it. So here in this hospital that we work at, the trauma patients do what to dry. Because mm -hmm. they probably don't know what to do with the trauma patients too. It's very severe. You don't yeah. know how this is going to heal. Yeah. Um, Makes sense. For example, for like the external fixators, they were using um, zero form. Mm -hmm. Antimicrobial properties. Yeah, respect. Uh, yeah, I'm, yeah, there's, you know, what to dry. I wanted to cover more about it, but it's not really... Like, like we do it sometimes, but not as much as we, we thought we were going to in nursing school. Right? Because you were at... There were days where you are at home, 
practicing for for your professor to watch you put on steroid gloves and do a wet to dry dressing. Did you do that? Did you, was that one of your? Yeah, it was a sign off. You, yeah, yeah, it was a sign off. So you had to pass that to move on, right? But you don't do it that often. There's other stuff that nurses do more than that. Like some nurses probably would have benefited from learning how to wipe ass before becoming a nurse. You know, some nurses don't know how to like clean the patient properly. That was me, man. You know what I'm saying I was, I, was a, I was a forklift yeah. operator, and it was a complete right. culture shock going into that it. That probably would have been more beneficial to you than learning how to do a proper wet to dry without double gloving and everything like that. You know. I agree. Mm -hmm. The next thing when it comes to the real setting that they don't teach in nursing school is the NCLEX teaches you this perfect environment of being a nurse and then you understand that nursing is not black and white. Mm -hmm. And one of them is short staffing. Mm -hmm. We in California were blessed to go you know, to be at to have ratios. During COVID they went out of ratios at some hospitals. Where we worked as travelers, we're lucky that we barely went over. I never got like triple or anything in the ICU. So you're going to be short staffed. It's going to happen both days, both nights. Like there's turnover rates. People are burnt out. COVID happened. People are called off because they can. They have like, you know, three, four shifts. So whatever the pay period it is. Mm -hmm. And you're going to be faced with having rough times. Yeah. I think at all nursing school, we probably talked about short staffing or how to deal with stress in, in a work environment and not that cheesy stuff where just like these these are steps to good communication that not that they stuff. teach you leadership but the actual like how to properly communicate how to actually deal with stress and short staffing we probably did like maybe one class about that nobody tells you how short staff you're going to be as a nurse and we were short staffed before that pandemic before the pandemic we were short staffed so it's crazy yeah. because hospitals we're bringing travel nurses, and travel nurses were leaving their units, causing staffing issues on their units, going on different units to become travel nurses to fix short staff units. So it didn't, it didn't do anything. It just moved nurses around certain areas. And same thing, I love reading uh, comments that we get from the podcast mm -hmm. and everything. So someone commented on YouTube or Instagram that their administration always gave them food. So mm -hmm. someone made an anonymous note, don't give us food give us nurses like you need help yeah. and yeah we're, we're still not filling the gaps no. and, it's, and it's so sad just thinking post 2020 the year of the nurse the year of the nurse is 2021 too by the way we haven't fixed anything with nursing we got, right. we got some food we got some appreciation from news and we're heroes and we wear caps and that's it it's, it's like the veterans almost so we just got dumped on yeah. to and throw in and subtract all the nurses that decided to retire before the pandemic hit. And they did? Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not blaming them or anything. But I'm saying, that's a small move on there. I would have done the fucking same thing. But that caused a shortage, right? So imagine, they were allowing student nurses, they are allowing them to do a little bit of things outside their normal practice to help out. Like CNAs were doing things that are a little bit outside their practice to yeah. help out. You know, we were, some people were, we were bending, they were definitely bending corners during COVID, for sure. And we, we had to fill the gap somehow. And I mean, we, we tried and this is what happened. And what's a crazy perspective about this is the nurses were doing this outside of their license. We we're putting our license at the end of the day. I mean, everybody was. Physicians were, yes. you know, respiratory therapists were, everybody was. And, you know, I guess when, it just shows you when, when shit goes south, 
Like we get people are gonna get shit done. And we're so resilient, low, low key or not. Like it's crazy about humans is when we need to get something done collectively, we get it done, and we don't ask certain questions. We don't talk about it, which is that could also be an issue at sometimes because that doesn't allow much much room for change. How to make this issue different in the future? Very great point, you know, because we adapted as nurses, we're very resilient, we adapted to the stress and everything, and we held, but administration didn't change, it didn't need to, because we bent, you know, if you think about it that way. And it sucks, because like, like, we had to, you and know. you got the short end of the stick, yeah. like always, yeah. the little people, right, it's the little I wonder, people. I wonder what's going to change, like, it's crazy, it's still mind-blowing to me that California could have these ratios. And these kind of nursing units and this kind of functionality in the hospitals, but you can't have this anywhere else. It doesn't make any sense. How can California implement this, but nobody else can? And they've been doing it for yeah. over a decade. Like someone's got to be someone's got to be lying about something here, for sure. Someone's got to be lying about something. The American Hospital Association. It has to because there's no way because that's this is like an almost an ideal model, right? I'm satisfied where we work. I'm happy. Right? There's break nurses. Right. There's mid shifts. There's ton of resources. Yeah. They're always stacked when it comes to nights and days like the CNAs in this hospital. Mm-hmm. Even in the previous one we worked at. It's great. Yeah. Even when we traveled to Oakland, when I was in San Diego, same thing. There is short staffing, that's just the reality, right? Nursing mm-hmm. struggles. But there's resources. Yeah. In California. That's why we're here. It's great money and you're not freaking suffering and drowning. Right. How is that possible? Tell me, this is like a giant joke or some shit, but and, we're going to try to get to the bottom of this. We're going to try to get to the bottom of this one. And here. I'm passionate about it, and I'm down to lead this you know, movement to get that done. Like, it should be done on a national level. Come yeah. on. It's 2021. Right. Like, we see, it, we see it works. It's like an experiment that's already pro- proven to be true, but some things like hindering it from being known. And it's, and it's funny when we travel nurses and nurses travel from different states, they always say that California nurses have no idea how yeah. well they have it. Yeah. And it's true. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that crazy? California has the best climate and the best nursing. What are we doing? I'm never having a winter ever again in my life. Except maybe in Alaska. In Alaska. We gotta go to Alaska. And the next thing is nursing is, isn't black or white. Mm-hmm. The textbook teaches you for the fine lines for the most point. End of life care, they kind of teach you about ethics and difficult decisions. So that's true, that happens. I've dealt with these patients all the time. There's ethic committees and there's tough choices with death and dying. And just overall nursing is not black and white, meaning every experience, every single shift is different. You're going to counter different things. Let's just say you're giving cardizam to this patient. Well, this patient might get infected differently. It's always going to be a different experience. And you always have to be on your toes, thinking critically, assessing the situation, acting fast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and even nursing care-wise, it's not black and white. In no textbook is the same thing about a nursing bolus or a quick 250 bolus. Yeah. Right? You don't see that anywhere. But it's just sometimes you just got to do these things. And that's just how it works. But... It's, I don't want to even talk about nurse mm-hmm. notes. Nurse, yeah. <laughs> Somebody just has to give a little bit more adamant, and it just happens. Just because, yeah, it doesn't fit the numbers, but the way the patient's acting is he's going to get wild. He's been progressively getting worse and worse and worse just because 
It's not hitting numbers right now. I know he's going to in the next 15 minutes, but I'm not going to be able to administer anything in the next 15 minutes. It's not going to be enough. And you just got to give it. And then everyone's, everyone's happy. Yeah, and we don't do any of this stuff in this hospital. This mm -hmm. is just hypotheticals, yeah. just for legal purposes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. hypothetical situations. And nurse, nursing is a trip. Like, I'm excited for anybody that's listening that's about to be a nurse, that's maybe a nursing. You guys felt this out. Yeah, but definitely... Being an actual nurse is a lot fun at the nursing school. 100%. 100%. Right, respect. Jeez. Respect. Right there, dude. What do you want? Soda? I think a water. I think a water. I want to go Cheers, man. Yeah, cool. You know, we got to be healthy. got to stay clean. Man, trying to cut weight. I'm just chilling, you know. But we yeah, got to be healthy yeah. around here. we got to be well. But yeah, nursing is a lot better and a lot more fun in nursing school. It's a lot more fun than clinical. Because in clinical, you can really do certain things. And the instructor had to, had to watch you. And you couldn't partake in all these festivities or activities or, or the different care styles or emergent, emergent situations. And, and you never felt like you fit in because yeah, yeah. you were the student. And we had to be that careful. Label. And you had to be careful yeah. and you were watched. and You don't see an actual nursing culture because especially on nights, the, night, the culture on nights is so much better than the culture on days. I'm going to tell you that right now. And night, nights were rowdy, rowdy people. Yeah, you know, days a little bit more calm, more more proper. And, and we had this, I had this conversation with a night shift nurse, mm -hmm. and he explained it the same way because mm -hmm. he got on a shift with this guy, and they were kind of like they're messing around, like hardcore. Mm -hmm. Like I almost thought they were serious at one point. I knew they weren't, mm -hmm. but they had to explain it to other people because mm -hmm. they're just yeah, night shift is tight. There's yeah. just something about the night shift nurse, mm -hmm. and we kind of brought it to days that were just messing around with people. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we definitely have the vibe for sure. I just don't. I just hate how being a day shift nurse, you have to kind of be careful with management. I've never mm -hmm. had to experience that where I felt like it's not a good idea to be on my phone. Because if I finish everything at nights, there's no family, right? Because of COVID, and they're not staying over still. There's no really management. The charge nurse is not going to say anything. I'm doing my damn job, mm -hmm. and you're chilling. But here, right. it's like, yes, you're having a break. You have to be careful because that's your management. Right. They might yeah. say something. Yeah, they might. The thing is, like, if you're bored, they'll find you something to do. Yeah, they're probably, they probably won't care. But if it comes like an occurrence, you know, might be an issue and stuff like that. Like, they, they might not care, but just. It's more professionalism yeah. more than anything. Exactly, yeah. I do it for that. Yeah, yeah. If, she, if you don't see her on, on her phone, you shouldn't, you're trying to be on your phone. Yeah, you can take a peek at it once in a while, but just don't be scrolling through stuff or doing some. Some posting for no reason. Watch the TikToks. Yeah, watch some TikToks. Man, you making TikToks? Man, I started an OnlyFans account pretty soon. Bro, I dude, I had to tell him. I had to tell him. I'm not doing one day. <laughs> yeah, he's a joke. We're joking. Modest, I'm modest. <laughs> modest, you're modest. Yeah, we should we should do a comedy. We yeah. do it. We can totally do a comedy skit. Yeah, we, we should wrap it up before I said stupid here. Yeah, you know I'm saying. This is a late night recording. Mm -hmm. One a.m. That's so. laughies. And it's funny because we're talking about night shift, and yes, we're hardcore night shifters forever because it's 1 a.m. We're doing a recording. Yeah. You just have to do it. Yeah. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, it's been a pleasure. Hopefully, your episode, we talked to you guys about the differences between nursing school, clinical, and actual nursing. Pretty interesting stuff. And some good humor. Don't forget, we are Frontline Warriors. Stay tuned. CoupleNurses.com for show notes and any updates. See you guys next week. Thank you for listening. Peace. Bye-bye.